Welcome to the GSI Briefing Podcast. I am your host, Regina Agia, President of the Garden State Initiative. In this edition of the GSI Briefing, we are taking a look across the Delaware River to Pennsylvania, who recently enacted a plan to dramatically cut its business taxes. Pennsylvania currently levies the second highest corporate tax rate in the U.S., right behind New Jersey, who is the highest. Their decision to cut their rate by 50% over the next decade will position Pennsylvania among the 10 lowest in the country, as well as the lowest in the Northeast. Now, when comparing our two states, it is interesting that this year, Pennsylvania, a state of about 13 million people, enacted a budget of $45.2 billion, an increase of just 2.9%. In that same year, New Jersey, a state of nearly 9 million, or 37% fewer people than Pennsylvania, we enacted a budget of $50.6 billion, an increase of 8% over the prior year. Now you heard that right. Despite having 4 million fewer people in Pennsylvania, New Jersey is taxing and spending 11% more each year. Now both Pennsylvania and New Jersey have projected robust surpluses of at least $6 billion this year. Pennsylvania's leadership chose to use tax cuts to invest in future growth and fight inflation. On our side of the Delaware, New Jersey's elected leaders chose to increase spending, only offering one-time rebates that do nothing to grow our economy long-term or disrupt our continuously increasing tax burden. It is a clear contrast in priorities. So joining me to discuss Pennsylvania's ambitious path to prosperity are Elizabeth Stell, the Director of Policy Analysis at the Pennsylvania Think Tank the Commonwealth Foundation. In addition, we are honored to have Senator Ryan Almond, a decorated veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom, who also has experience in business. In 2014, he was elected to represent the 36th district, which includes Northern Lancaster County. Senator Almond, a Republican, is widely credited as a driving force behind Pennsylvania's bipartisan tax cut plan, which was signed into law by Democratic Governor Tom Wolf this summer. Now, here's my conversation with Elizabeth and Senator Almond. Welcome, Elizabeth. It's really terrific to have you on the GSI Briefing Podcast today. Pleasure to be here. So we're going to jump right in because we have, uh, you know, so much to learn from you. Followers of GSI frequently hear us talk about our competitiveness and how our state compares to our neighbors and other states that are chasing business investment and more jobs. So as part of the Commonwealth Foundation team there, what's your assessment of Pennsylvania's economy and relative competitiveness? In one word, I'd say struggling. Um, That might be relative when we're looking at our neighbors, especially the Northeast. But uh, Pennsylvania has a long way to go in terms of being competitive um, for labor, um, a competitive place to start a new business. On many different rankings, we're not doing so well. The one I'll use is uh, the ALEC ranking, American Legislative Exchange Council. They do a state competitiveness index. We're 45th in economic performance, which is not where you want to be. Uh, You want to be in the single digits, obviously. Um, Even uh, outlets like CNBC, rate us pretty poorly. And their top states for business this year, we were also 45th in the nation. 
So we're not the worst, uh, but we're definitely on the wrong side of the scale. And uh, there, um, we're, we made a significant step forward this year with the tax cut, uh, but we have a long way to go. Well, yes, we're going to talk a lot about that, uh, you know, planned uh, implementation of the tax cut. And it's something that uh, I know New Jersey is very interested in learning about why and, you know, how that came about. Um, and, you know, another part of the tax, you know, policy in each state relates to tax incentives. Now, I want to talk about that for a minute before we get into the tax cut, because similar to New Jersey, from what I've read, your leaders in Harrisburg have often relied on economic tax incentives rather than tax cuts. So can you help us understand, like, how have the tax incentive programs worked out for Pennsylvania? Uh, not well. Um, there's something that is uh, very um, promising politically. Um, it's very visual, right? You can do a ribbon cutting. You can do a press release about all the new jobs or um, business that you're bringing to a district. But when you look at the actual rate on return, it's, it's not so good. Um, in Pennsylvania, our latest budget, we crunch the numbers on how much what we call corporate welfare existed. This is looking at tax credits. It's looking at um, grants. It's looking at a host of different subsidies that are only available for political winners in the system. And it totals about $1.3 And this is the budget that we just passed in June. So this is the new number. Uh, it's, it's a lot. Um, and the majority of this goes to things like uh, horse racing. Um, not uh, the types of businesses that you would think of when you think of uh, you know, restart, restarting or, or creating a competitive economy. Um, our, our version of the CBO in Pennsylvania called the Independent Fiscal Office is actually done reports on every tax credit in Pennsylvania. And they came up with some interesting statistics. The tax credits have a return of less than 25 cents per dollar spent on average. So again, on the whole, these programs are not uh, incentivizing new growth. They're just redistributing what we already have and in the process, actually making us less competitive, especially for smaller business. They don't have the time or the capacity to apply for these programs the way that larger businesses can. There are, you know, as uh, you're outlining, a lot of concern about tax incentives, not just in our two states, but in other states as well, for all the reasons, you know, you're expressing about you know, which businesses does it really help? And, um, you know, what is the actual um, positive and negative in the state? So let's talk, let's jump into, I want to jump into the tax rate discussion, which is really the, the really exciting news that came out of your state. Now, for, for the listeners, um, Pennsylvania's business tax rate was the second highest in the U.S., only behind New Jersey. Uh, and when, so when this plan is fully implemented, as I understand it, Pennsylvania will be the lowest in the region and 50% lower than New Jersey. You know, neighboring states ought to be alarmed that they'll be losing business to your state. So along that line, Elizabeth, you know, how large of a positive impact on your state's economy have you estimated from this dramatic policy change? Well, it's difficult to say exactly how so manifests itself, partially because it's phased in over 10 years. So it's going to take us a decade to drop from 9.99 to 4.99. Um, that makes it much more difficult to see the impact um, that's immediately tied to our corporate and income tax. Also, most businesses in Pennsylvania, if we're just looking at the gross numbers, um, they pay the personal income tax because they're small businesses or they're LLCs, not the corporate and income tax rate. So it's a little difficult to say exactly what the impact will be. But we know from groups like the Chamber um, and other business industry advocates 
that this will make us much more competitive for um, the bigger plants, um, the larger industries that might be interested in moving into Pennsylvania. So we estimate that we'll be um, somewhere around, I think, uh, like sixth highest, seventh highest, depending on what other states do once this is fully implemented. Um, that's going to be great for where our positions in the Northeast, but we know that business competitiveness isn't uh, restricted to a region. You know, we're, we're not just competing with New Jersey or New York, uh, we're competing with Idaho and California and Texas and every other state in the nation, and we're competing internationally. We used to say before um, New Jersey raised their rate that we, and that we had a, a federal reduction in the corporate income tax, that we were that one of the highest rates in the industrialized world. So we, we, we're making progress, right? But we have to understand that we're in a dynamic marketplace where there are many other states cutting corporate taxes. Um, the last two years have seen more tax reductions uh, in this area than we've seen over the past decade. So um, there's a lot, I think, that's still going to um, unfold in terms of uh, rates going down. So I think the message for New Jersey is that you can't be stagnant. Um, this is an escalator. And if you're not going up, you're going down. I agree completely, you know, with your assessment of how dynamic the market is. In fact, you know, one one thought I had as you were speaking is, you know, have you assessed which states do you think are going to react most to, you know, your move that uh, you just made? Neighbors, most likely, I think we'll, we'll reassess where they're at. Um, I've heard some people talk about, and this is just handled, so who knows what will come of it, but I know Ohio has taken notice. Uh, obviously, uh, New York, I've seen some people write about uh, this who are based in New York seeing, um, you know, hey, this is a, a wake-up call for New York as well. Uh, but taxes are more complicated than just the CNI. Um, Pennsylvania might be making a lot of progress on that front, uh, but we have some really uh, restrictive, archaic tax rules around small businesses. And again, that's where most of the business activity is happening when you just look at absolute numbers. Uh, so we have a lot of work to do in that area. And um, I think that's really going to determine whether Pennsylvania moves up in the competitive indexes. It's not just CNI alone. It's what's happening more comprehensively. Yes, yes. And, you know, um, more broadly to, to the point you were just making about it's not just one thing. Um, you, um, as we did over the last two years, have done a bit of um, whole research and attitudes right in the state. And I think, um, you know, as I read your most recent poll, I think prior to the agreement to reduce the business tax, the Commonwealth Foundation released a statewide poll, I believe, that indicated 53% of those surveyed believe Pennsylvania's worse for business than it was 10 years ago. And only 14% I believe it's better. And in addition, uh, nearly 70% of the respondents said the state was on the wrong track, with 42% saying they had considered moving or personally knew someone who had already relocated. So I guess, you know, were you surprised, Elizabeth, by the results? And what do you think the other factors are, in addition to the you know, corporate tax we're talking about, that are really impacting these kind of uh, survey results? Yeah, we weren't really surprised um, by people's thoughts on how is the economy doing, we're on the wrong track or on the right track. You know, there, as you know, there's a lot of federal trends at play here, recovery from the pandemic, inflation, um, it's coloring people's perspective. But we were a little surprised by how high the numbers were in terms of people looking to leave Pennsylvania. That was a bit alarming to us. Um, now, I should say thank you um, for sending so many New Jerseys over the border. You are helping us <laughs> pad some of our migration numbers. 
Um, and, and we are pulling a lot of folks from New York uh, as well. Uh, and I guess we look pretty good uh, in comparison, but uh, not so much for the folks that we're losing to North Carolina, to Florida, and to Texas on a regular basis. Uh, so that number really stood out to us and that, you know, we're getting close to almost half of Pennsylvanians that either know someone or is seriously considering relocating. Uh, and, and what does that mean um, from a competitiveness standpoint? That means fewer workers and fewer jobs. Again, I'm going back to the independent fiscal office in Pennsylvania that estimated our working age population will decrease by 250,000 by 2025. That's not a recipe for growth and success. Um, that that's really um, what I'm most concerned about is the, the demographic trends. And I think the tax policy, the regulatory policy um, can help um, offset and maybe even um, turn the corner on the trends that we're seeing. Are there particular areas of, um, so you lead uh, the policy uh, area, right, for the Commonwealth Foundation. So are there other areas that you're prioritizing up now as a follow-on from the business tax change that you've already gotten that you think are the most important changes for Pennsylvania? Well, we're going to keep pressing on tax reduction, specifically personal income tax. Um, this is an area where Pennsylvania actually does quite well. We have a flat personal income tax, which is very unique, um, especially for the Northeast. Very low, right? Um, I think it's in the bottom five rates. Uh, and so we're looking at what the, what that would look like, um, taking that corporate welfare we talked about earlier, that you know, $1.3 billion and saying, okay, how much could we lower the personal income tax if we got rid of all this corporate welfare? So we're making it revenue neutral. You know, we're, legislators don't have to give up anything. Um, it's just, you know, shifting the resources, if you will, so that everybody, um, you know, uh, sees a boost and not just political winners. So we're looking at that. We're also looking at um, net operating loss is kind of our marquee small business reform. Um, we're extremely restrictive in how um, much losses we let businesses carry forward. And especially with the pandemic, um, this was a huge, a huge hit to our small businesses. So we want to see that done. And um, we think that's really important. Um, and then after that, there's a whole litany of other small business tax reforms that we can do. But um, the net operating loss and um, starting the conversation about personal income tax cuts are kind of our, the first two steps. Um, because we know, you know when you work in, in policy and in politics, you have to start the conversation um, really bold. And, and forward thinking because you know that what you get in the legislation is probably going to be um, somewhat watered down. Um, and that's why we're really, really excited about the corporate income tax. I mean, the, the size of the reduction was more uh, than we initially thought. Very concerned about it being delayed or paused um, given the long phase out. Um, but I think we're, we took a first step uh, that's really promising. Now, Elizabeth, I hadn't prepared you for this question, but I'm wondering, you mentioned in your response just a minute ago that it was revenue neutral. And can you talk a little bit about that, about how that was achieved and over what time period is it neutral? Sure. When we say revenue neutral, we're looking at how much is the state spending um, and realizing that when you cut taxes, you reduce the inflow of revenue. So what you want to avoid is a situation where you cut taxes, but you don't cut the spending then you end up with debt or you end up with tax increases further down the road. And that does nothing for your competitiveness. So when we looked at how could we offset the revenue loss by a personal income tax reduction uh, in, in a way that um, we wouldn't have to come back to the voters a few years later and ask for a tax increase. 
So if we, if we reallocate those corporate welfare, those economic development incentives to just a broad-based tax reduction, um, you, you, there's no downside there. Everyone um, can move forward uh, with, with, um, with the policies that were in place previously, and you don't have any lingering um, negative side effects. So that, that's, what, you know, that's what we always um, strive for, our policies that are revenue neutral or that we can um, articulate and demonstrate that a certain reduction in taxes will not create a deficit going forward. Um, like New Jersey and a lot of other states, we already have a structural deficit problem. So we're having this conversation almost every year. You know, where can we cut? Where can we reduce government spending? How can we balance the books without having to go back to the people for more? So that's a really important element of any tax reductions that we do it responsibly. That's helpful. Thanks very much because uh, we're also seeking, I think, uh, to find that comfort, comfortable position for the legislators when they think about the overall budget and talking about tax cuts. That's very helpful. Thank you, Elizabeth. So um, maybe we'll round out the conversation. Um, I just wanted to, um, you've mentioned this before, but I, I'll let you, you talk a little bit more about it, about, you know, competitiveness and, you know, um, the message for New Jersey taxpayers and those interested in improving our state's business climate. Like, what would be your advice if you were in New Jersey? Well, I think you have a lot of opportunity in New Jersey. So... <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's an interesting way to put it, Elizabeth. <laughs> that's not a good opportunity to go to waste. Um, and, and I think the other thing is, you know, incremental steps forward. Um, you know, that's the way you get things done. What happened with our permanent income tax is a, a bit of a um, unusual situation or you're seeing such a big rate drop from 9.99 to 4.99. But again, that's happening over 10 years. So the more um, reforms we get that you can get, um, into statute and, and maybe, you know, have the phase downs, have the phase ins, have the um, trigger points where it's automatic. It happens without any action from the legislature. I think that's really the key in all these states um, because then these policies become more um, familiar. They become more comfortable and the sky doesn't fall uh, when you, you know, cut some revenue. Uh, and, and so that's kind of the recipe for success that we've used in Pennsylvania. And I've seen um, some other states that are maybe uh a little more challenging in terms of remarkable policy. So if you can you can enact that, and if you can stick to that, um, I, I think you can see success. Um, but of course, you know we don't want New Jersey to become too competitive too fast. That opportunity we give you. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, that's great, Elizabeth. Thank you, and uh, thanks for being with us on the GSI Briefing Podcast. And I look forward to, you know, having a further conversation with you and maybe we'll actually give you a little bit of run for your money uh, next time when we're on together. So thanks for being with us, Elizabeth. I look forward to the competition. Well, Senator Allman, thank you so much for joining us today on the GSI Briefing Podcast. We're really excited to hear what you can share with us about the policy changes going on in Pennsylvania. So good to be with you. Thank you so much. Great. So we're going to, you know, jump right in because it's, uh, as I say, a really interesting um, development. And, you know, in our polarized partisan climate, it's really impressive that the business tax cut that happened in a battleground state with a term limited Democratic governor and a legislature that leans Republican. Senator, you're widely credited for being at the forefront of pushing this legislation. Just how did you build the consensus? Well, key to the 
the entire effort really was the business community all across the Commonwealth, various stakeholder groups from labor to the uh, various uh, commerce um, of uh, industry, uh, the chamber, the statewide chamber, the Pittsburgh chamber, the Philadelphia chamber, um, they were all speaking with one consistent voice really over the course of the last year. This journey for me really began about two years ago as I was traveling the state in my capacity in Senate Republican leadership, um, talking to uh, leaders from across the Commonwealth and this issue of uh, Pennsylvania's economic competitiveness and specifically the corporate net income uh, tax rate in Pennsylvania, the 9.99 rate, uh, was consistently at the top of concerns that I was hearing from the business community as well as organized labor in many respects, um, consistently being articulated as the barrier to uh, economic growth and opportunity in Pennsylvania. And so these stakeholders really were central to the conversation as we went into this last uh, budget. And the governor in his budget address this past February um, highlighted the corporate net income tax uh, as an objective, the corporate net income tax reform as an objective. And so this started out as a partisan exercise but as we work through the budget negotiations, it uh, became bipartisan. Uh, and I give the governor credit at the end of the day for delivering Democratic votes in the House and Senate, as well as signing a meaningful CNI reduction. Absolutely. And that's interesting that it was really spontaneous. It was from bottoms up, right? The interest and the momentum to enact this change. So that's incredibly, uh, I think, important in the success of this. And, you know, one of the um, other constituents, obviously, uh, are the, the voters in Pennsylvania. So, I mean, there's obvious benefit to luring businesses to your state. But how do you articulate, really, to the average Pennsylvanian how they're going to benefit? Yeah, well, there, there's a couple of points. First, um, it, it's become very clear in Pennsylvania. And I think many of the voters here are very well aware of the challenges that we face um, as a state fiscally. We, as many states in the Northeast, are an aging state. And the result of that is, um, as, as we continue to see the population grow of those 59 and older, and uh, even more so, even more rapidly, those aged 85 and older, while at the same time we continue to lose population of those of prime working age between the ages of 24 and 59, this applies and has applied significant pressure to our budget in recent years. Pennsylvania is a very loving and generous state to our senior citizens, uh, but there is a cost to that. And the result is we have fewer and fewer who are producing, who are paying the taxes, who are contributing to the revenue side of the equation, the revenue side of our budget. Uh, and we have uh, greater demands on the expenditure side of the leisure of the budget. And this is forecasted to continue. So taxpayers here have been feeling that. And so I think that has led to um, has led to a recognition on the part of the voter that we have to change course, that we have to control the rate of growth in our budget, we have to control the rate of growth on the expenditure side of the ledger, but we need to enact pro-growth policy on the revenue side uh, so that we're able to generate, uh, generate revenue through increased economic activity. We can't just continue to raise rates, raise the personal income tax, raise and expand the sales tax, raise business taxes. Uh, that's, not, uh, that's not sustainable in the long term. And I think the electorate 
uh, understands that. Uh, we were very intentional as we introduced uh, the corporate net income tax, my proposal, to wrap a communications plan around it, to talk about these fiscal challenges, but to also talk about the pro-growth benefits that it's a corporate net income tax um, reduction uh, does not just lead to more money in the hands of corporations. There is a, um, a tremendous effect on workers and workers' wages and has a tremendous positive benefit on our small businesses who work with these larger corporations. And it, there is the experience of other states um, certainly points to an increase in population. That as you increase economic activity, as you increase economic opportunity and you provide a pathway to upper mobility, more folks will come here. Talent will, will come here to experience our outstanding institutions of higher education and our trade schools, and then we'll stay here to be employed here, be entrepreneurs here, be innovators here. And so we made that case to the public and in all of the polling that I have seen, uh, the corporate net income tax uh, reform was overwhelmingly supported in a bipartisan manner. And at the end of the day, I think that's why the governor came to the table. And that's why I think many Democrats in the General Assembly uh, voted for it. One, they understand we're on an unsustainable path. And two, uh, because they, they recognize the public overwhelmingly supports these reforms. It's uh, fascinating, you know, as you talk about there's different constituency groups, but they all are appreciating the benefit. And I, of course, agree 100% with, you know, your strategy. And um, you've kind of referenced this, but I want to ask you specifically because, you know, when the question of cutting taxes comes up in New Jersey, frequently what the, the resistance is from both the governor and the legislature, frankly, is now how do you replace that revenue? Now, can you to help us with a little more about how was it did you address that issue in Pennsylvania to be convincing? Yes, and without question, that has been the barrier here over the last number of years of enacting meaningful pro-growth tax policy. Um, is and, and we, I can't speak to New Jersey, but certainly how we do our budgeting here in Pennsylvania, we have a balanced budget requirement, an annual budget. And so um, to enact pro-growth tax policy and without dynamic modeling, um, the argument from those that are in opposition, the argument tends to be, well, this is going to uh, result in lost revenue, X amount of lost revenue, because you've taken away um, this, this tax at this rate. And so therefore, that has to be offset by a new fee, a new tax, or uh, painful spending reductions. Uh, we made the case, I think there was a compelling case to be made looking to the experience of other states around the country that no, when you reduce tax rates, you generate revenue, new revenue. Uh, and we had a very compelling case to make that the CNI will generate uh, revenue, if not in year one, and I think there's a case to be made that it will result in revenue, new revenue in year one, but certainly by year two. And so essentially the initial proposal that I offered um, we made the case by saying, okay, let us demonstrate this. We will put in performance-based triggers. And so the initial plan that I introduced, Senate Bill 771, reduced the rate just from 9.99 to 6.99, which I would argue is just barely keeping our head above water, but reducing the rate from 9 to 6.99 and then putting performance-based measures in place that said, if the new rate at 699 generates more revenue 
then the 9.99 rate was forecasted to generate at that same moment in time, that would trigger further reduction. And then the following year, another performance-based trigger, and we would trigger all the way down to 4.99. Because I genuinely believe that we could make, that we could demonstrate, the business community would demonstrate that in fact, this is a pro-growth approach. It would, it would generate revenue, if not in year one, by year two. And I think by, by our willingness to put that in writing and go to the business community and say, you know, essentially bet on our success, um, that shifted the, the conversation here. Now, there's no doubt that the increased revenue that we've received, quite frankly, because of inflation, our, our, our tax, uh, our revenue, our budget is primarily dependent on the personal income tax and sales tax. And so we have received, as many states, record amount of uh, revenue from the personal income tax and sales tax. The government, in a sense, has benefited from inflation. Um, so our argument was, well, that should go back to, we should invest in the people uh, with that increased uh, revenue. But with we, were, we had um, a lot of new revenue that was coming into the state, as well as federal funding that we had been recipients of. And like many states, we were making the argument the best way is not to double down the inflationary policies that we see out of Washington, D.C., but we should invest this new money, this new revenue in tax cuts. And uh, so that certainly helped us make the case publicly that we could take this step without drastic um, spending cuts or new taxes and, and new fees. Wow, that's impressive. And as you say, it was an opportune time. Many states took a similar strategy, you know, to reduce taxes when you had that cushion of both the unexpected revenue as well as the funding from the federal government. Regina, to your point, uh, that we also made that argument is that Pennsylvania already was an outlier at the nine point nine nine rate, and other states were taking advantage of this opportunity to get even further ahead. And so, if we failed to take this step now we were likely to fall further behind. And so um, that was a real, that was another powerful argument for us. And I was insistent at the outset that simply nibbling at the edges here was not going to, was not going to work. Uh, that other states were getting further ahead and a reduction from nine to eight or nine to seven uh, was not going to cut it. That to, to truly demonstrate that we are committed to competing and winning, that we need to reduce the rate to at least 5.99 or all the way to 4.99, which is, I'm pleased is, is the step that we've taken over a 10-year period. Now, I'd like to see us accelerate that. Well, let's talk about that because, yeah, I did notice it. I think, right, both of your candidates for governor um, in the next election support, obviously, the, the what you've enacted in terms of cutting the business tax. But they've joined, I think, your call, right, to accelerate it. So what's going on with that? And how do you see, what would you prefer to see in terms of an acceleration? Yeah, that's my understanding also. And I'm, I'm pleased to see both, um, both make comments to, to that effect and also highlight the, the importance of, of economic competitiveness and that we're, we're not done. This was a historic and was a significant step forward, but there is, there's much more to be done here. Uh, my number one priority in, in every public engagement, public speaking engagement I've had since uh, this reform was enacted in June has been one, we must stay the course. And that's why it was so important that this is what was done by statute, because the legislature would have to now change this by statute going forward if we were to adjust the timeline. But my number one priority in the General Assembly next session is going to make sure 
that we stay the course. A number of years ago, the legislature had uh, taken steps to eliminate the capital stock and franchise tax. My recollection is that was to be a three-year phase-out. That three-year phase-out uh, phase down turned into a 12-year exercise. Uh, we can't allow that to happen here. So number one priority is to stay the course. But secondly, I'm going to be a voice in the General Assembly and look forward to working with the new governor, whoever that may be, to ensure that we accelerate um, that 10-year uh, that uh, phase down to 4.99. Because as we've talked about, other states are getting further ahead. It's, it's reasonable to think that they will continue to do so in the years to come. Uh, we can get to a 4.99 rate uh, much faster than 10 years. My proposal was a five-year. Um, and again, I will re-offer the, the trigger mechanism. Let's stay the course for 10 years. But if, in fact, we are generating the revenue, as I expect we will, then that would trigger a further and a more advanced reduction. That's what I'm going to be a, vo a voice for. If we signal to the business community that we are truly we are committed to economic competitiveness, that we are truly open for business, I am confident based on our rich natural resources here in Pennsylvania, um, our access to workforce and talent and outstanding institutions of higher education, uh, I'm absolutely convinced uh, that we will generate tremendous economic uh, activity. So I'm going to be a voice for accelerating that 10-year 10 10-year timeline. Um, not that I'm not content with the step we've taken. It's, it's historic, as you've said, considering having one of the more liberal Democratic governors um, to have gotten this done in this budget, but we've we've got more work to do. Well, uh, you know, we're jealous, uh, of course, you know, from a, a policy think tank, you know, like GSI, we're very jealous, but commend, uh, you know, the accomplishment. And I just want to come back to, you, you've made this point a couple of times, and I, I want to just explore for a minute about this whole idea of triggers. Did you think that that was really essential in the conversation to create confidence and the, on both sides in terms of both risk and reward? And just talk a little bit more about that, how, you know, how important that component was, do you think? Yes, I think it was critical, even though it was not enacted uh, as part of uh, the reform in June. I, it, I do believe it helped us shift the conversation to uh, CNI reduction leading to revenue rather than a loss in revenue. We just, we knew we had to shift that conversation that we were gonna encounter heavy resistance and uh, the, the, the appropriators who are very, very cautious by nature, uh, the opposition that we know would, uh, would certainly go on the attack and go out to our communities and say, well, this is going to deprive us of, of these essential services because the Republicans aren't committed to, to fully funding uh, the budget. And so I, I was looking for a mechanism really to make the point uh, that this would, uh, in fact, uh, generate economic activity and result in uh, new, re new revenue um, well beyond what the 9.99 rate was projected to, to, to bring in. So uh, it wasn't enacted at the end of the day, but I think it was essential to helping us shift the conversation and for me to be able to go, to go out there uh, in an intellectually honest way and say, look, if this isn't, if I'm wrong about this, and this doesn't generate revenue, then the rate's not going to fall. But if, but if in fact we're right, then uh, we we all should be committed to staying that staying the course and um, rewarding our job creators for the, the work that uh, that we're doing. So I'm going to continue to offer that, particularly if it helps us, helps us accelerate the timeline. But I do think it, it helps shift the conversation. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it, set, it creates a sense of confidence in the plan and um, understanding that, you know, this isn't risk-free, but on the other hand, it's worth taking the chance. Yeah. But now if I could ask you, if you were, you know, not New Jersey's neighbor and you weren't competing with us <laughs> for jobs and economic growth, what what would a message be that you think um, would be, you would deliver to New Jersey taxpayers and how do we improve our business climate? Well, again, I would highlight just from our experience um, the importance of the grassroots, the, the importance of taxpayers saying the current path we are on is simply not sustainable. We can't, we can't continue to grow our budget above the rate of inflation and then go to the taxpayers and ask them, uh, to support that new spending, to go to the businesses and uh, ask them to support those spending increases. When other states around you are taking steps to be more competitive, it's reasonable to think that residents are going to flee, that families are going to flee, that businesses are going to go and are going to locate elsewhere. So I think uh, it's, it's time for the taxpayers to call on the legislature, to call on the governor, to enact changes that are going to allow the state to be fiscally sustainable, to provide these essential services going forward, uh, do so in a way that grows population and attracts uh, new business and create an environment where economic opportunity and upward mobility thrive. You know, one of the things that really appealed to people here that I didn't mention is, you know, families have the dream. I have the dream that my children grandchildren are going to live here, experience economic opportunity, and live near me. For so many families in Pennsylvania uh, at very various regions of the state, um, they see their children and grandchildren leave and go elsewhere and, leave, and live multiple states away, hundreds of miles away. Um, and so uh, I think that's been a been that's that's appealing for families to to be located to stay in the land of their their birth and and uh, and be able to experience economic opportunity and upward mobility. So the grassroots um, voice from the people, and then certainly from the from the business community, uh, as I mentioned, the. Uh, the partnership between the chamber and organized labor, uh, the chamber, whether it's a Philadelphia, a Pittsburgh, the statewide chamber. I remember after the governor gave his budget address in February, the uh, president then, president CEO of the Pennsylvania chamber, pulled me aside off the back of the, the house floor as I was walking off to go back to the Senate chamber and said, you know, Pennsylvania just lost a $23 billion investment. Intel made a $23 billion investment in Ohio and Pennsylvania was never in the conversation, never in the conversation because of that 9.99 CNI rate. There really is a sticker shock. And so um, that voice from the business community, particularly you know, our folks West, the Pittsburgh chamber competing directly with the state of Ohio, which has been so friendly, um, that, that voice in the business community. So um, the grassroots, the business community, the partnership with organized labor, uh, being speaking in one voice to members of the General Assembly, to your governor, and saying the current path is, is, is not sustainable. I think that's key. Wow. Great advice. Thank you. Senator Ryan Ahmed from Pennsylvania, thank you for being with us today on the GSI Briefing Podcast. And I'd love to maybe have a follow-up conversation, you know, next year. and Maybe we'll be uh, chasing a little bit more aggressively than we are today in New Jersey. So thanks for your time today. So much for your time. The GSI Briefing is produced by the Garden State Initiative. For more information about GSI, visit us at gardenstateinitiative.org. 
and be sure to follow us on social media. Don't forget to subscribe to the GSI Briefing on the podcast platform of your choice. And please leave us a good rating. This is Regina Agia, and thank you for listening.